I'm taping this podcast in June of 2021. It's the end of our academic residency year. So those that were our lower levels are now obviously going up to their upper level positions. So I was recently scrubbing in with one of our interns who's becoming a second year on one of her first C-sections where she was actually surgeon. And at time of hysterotomy closure, I told her, remember, do a continuous non-locking suture on the myometrum. And she looked at me like I told her, like Oompa Loompas were real. I hope Oompa Loompas aren't real because then that would kill the analogy. Anyway, she thought I was on my mind. What do you mean? A running, non-locking suture. It's going to bleed. Well, will it? Because the data has actually proved Otherwise, So in this session, I thought we'd cover a pretty interesting topic, sure to push some buttons because, boy, we like our surgical techniques. But we're going to cover the best evidence-based approach for hysterotomy closure. Is it one layer? Is it two layers? Is it locking? Not locking? And does the suture material even matter? Well, there's answers for all of that. And it may or may not be what you think. So let's cover hysterotomy closure now. Oh, the cesarean section, a surgery clouded in mystery and in myths throughout history. And no, it doesn't have anything to do with the way that Julius Caesar was born because he likely was not born by cesarean. But the name likely comes from the Lex Caesarea, which was a Roman law during that time that stated that if a woman died, the child had to be removed for two separate burials. And it was not uncommon, although it wasn't performed to a wide extent, that if a pregnant woman died and someone was around with the ability to remove the child, then they would be removed in an attempt to save the child. In other words, a perimortem cesarean. But they were not performed intrapartum throughout history. But the technique has changed throughout history. So let's talk about that briefly before we get into the evidence-based hysterotomy closure techniques. Historically, the maternal mortality following cesarean section was principally due to hemorrhage, infection, or both. Several strategies, including neuroanesthetics, improved surgical techniques, and antisepsis, were introduced to address some of these complications. The value of anesthesia in surgery was first demonstrated in Boston in 1847. Thereafter, there was a gradual introduction and use of anesthesia in obstetrics as physicians became skilled in the use of chloroform and ether. Now, this not only offset the distress of the patient, but replaced the then-required speed of the procedure with careful technique as a priority in the performance of surgical cases. Now, historically, the hysterotomy at cesarean had not been sutured. Hemostasis was based on the principle that the uterus would contract down, which is still the principle that we adhere to today, and that the uterus would then cause hemostasis and secondary closure of the hysterotomy, but it was left unclosed. Closure of the hysterotomy was actually condemned on the fear that the sutures would tear through the muscle during uterine contraction and serve as a nidus or sinus tract formation. There was also fear that it would cause infertility. A review of the first 400 cases of cesarean sections in the U.S. noted that at autopsy of mothers who died, the uterine wound was in fact left open and at time of repeat cesarean for those mothers who survived enough to get pregnant and have another surgery, the uterine incision was held together only by the peritoneum. In other words, there was a large uterine window. 
Now, this changed, though, with the use of silver wire sutures in vaginal surgery that was introduced by a very controversial figure, which was Marion Sims. Now, we're not going to get into that now, but just remember that silver wire did kind of change the attitude for hysterotomy closure. Now, as history progressed with the introduction of silver wire as a suture, other techniques for cesarean were performed, including the Sanger classical C-section, Keher, who used a retroperitoneal approach, and then finally the Kerr incision, which we now call the low transverse incision, that resulted in less blood loss and less morbidity for the patient. But what really is the best way to close a hysterotomy? Well, the best way to repair the uterine incision at C-section has been debated for decades. Studies have looked at a range of results from both short-term and long-term. Short-term have included things like febrile morbidity, the need for antibiotics, and blood transfusions. Longer-term outcomes primarily focus on the rates of uterine rupture. But this is not to say that it's only an obstetrical issue. There is some gynecological implications as well with something that's popped up in the literature for the last really about 10 to 15 years, which is the C-section niche defect. This C-section scar defect, called a niche, can be seen on sagittal ultrasound with either 2D or 3D transvaginal ultrasound, and it literally is a little defect between the inner myometrial surface extending out to the serosa in the isthmus or the neck of the uterus, in other words, the high cervical area. We know that multiple C-sections can actually give a larger niche, but questions still remain as to the proper way to prevent that. Is it a one-layer or a two-layer closure? And does the type of suture even affect that? The reason this matters is because this little C-section niche defect, again, a gynecological issue, has been linked to abnormal bleeding, including intramenstrual spotting, and in some cases, it's been suspected, though not confirmed, to even be a cause of infertility. And going over onto the obstetric realm, that little C-section niche defect is a big risk factor for abnormal placentation, previa or accreta, because that myometrial layer, that basalis layer, is actually destroyed. All right, a quick spoiler alert. Now, some data has actually shown that a single-layer closure can give more niche defects than a double-layer closure. All right, so that sounds good, right? Like, all right, I'm done. I've listened to the podcast. Two-layer closure is better, right? No, it's not that easy because those studies were very limited in their quality, and it doesn't even go into how the single-layer was done or how the double-layer hysterotomy closure was performed, because those techniques matter a lot. So you can't just say, oh, I do a double-layer closure on everybody, and that's going to solve everything, because how you do it also matters. And that's the whole focus of this podcast. What's the best technique for either single-layer or double-layer based on the data? Ooh, are you intrigued? All right, let's get into the data between first and second layer closure. And a lot of that work comes from Emmanuel Bujol, who is French-Canadian, although a lot of other authors obviously have looked into it. But Emmanuel is just fantastic at doing this, and he's been studying this for about 10 years. So let's take a look at some of that data next. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
in 2011, out of Canada, data was published in the International Journal of Gynecology and Obstetrics that helped clarify this first versus second layer issue. The objective of this study was to evaluate the best available evidence regarding the association between single-layer closure and uterine rupture. For this evaluation, PubMed, Embase, Cochrane Central, and all of their databases were reviewed, and they included relevant observational and experimental studies, and of course, any RCTs. These included women with a previous single low transverse cesarean delivery who had attempted a trial of labor. Now, the risks of uterine rupture and uterine dehiscence were assessed by pooled odds ratios that were calculated with random effects modeling. In other words, that's just a statistical tool, but the short of it is they looked at the rates of uterine rupture based on single versus two-layer closures. Nine studies, including close to 6,000 women, were reviewed. Overall, the risks of uterine rupture during trial of labor after a single-layer closure were not significantly different from that after a double-layer closure. Did y'all get that? So in this study, there was no difference between a single and two-layer closure in terms of uterine rupture. That's kind of weird, right? I mean, that's not what we've heard. But wait, there's more. A sensitivity analysis indicated that if you actually take a look at the type of closure, how the closure was done, there actually was an increased risk of uterine rupture with a locked single-layer closure with an odds ratio of 4.9, but not after an unlocked single-layer closure. And this was compared to a double-layer closure. In other words, when they just looked at the entire category, single versus double-layer closure, It didn't really make much difference, but you have to take into account the technique. And when you actually take a look at how it was done, a single layer locked suture was actually worse because it actually created more weakness than a double layer closure. So the authors concluded that locked but not unlocked single layer closure was associated with a higher uterine rupture risk than double layer closure in women who were attempting a trial of labor. So you see, it's not just saying, well, I'm going to do a double layer closure on everybody so they can have a TOLAC for a VBAC later. It's how you do it. Now, this double layer closure technique also matters. So let's take a look at this double layer closure in more detail. Now, look, if it's getting a little confusing, let me just bring it down real quick in a nutshell. Single layer locked seems to strangulate the tissue and causes weaker hysterotomy closure, which is totally against what we were taught. Because I was taught a single layer transmural, in other words, that's through the serosa all the way through the endometrial cavity to the decidual basalis layer, and then do that in a single layer running locking suture because it was great and hemostatic. Well, it's great and strangulating is what it is. So it seems that a single layer non-locking seems to be best. But let's get into the two-layer closure next. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. We got to say something right off the bat first. Because it's not just single layer or two layer, but it's how that bite is actually taken. I learned that you go through the entire thickness, right? Serosa all the way through to the endometrial cavity. Well, please don't do that. We now know that going through the endometrial cavity, through the decidua, through that endometrial layer, the basalis layer, and then bringing that through through the incision actually causes more weakness because you can put endometrial glands and stroma into the incision. And potentially, it's a site of C-section scar endometriosis. So never include the innermost part of the endometrium or that basalis layer in that uterine closure stitch. 
All right, now let's take a look at double layer suture techniques for the hysterotomy closure. And a lot of this data, again, comes from Emmanuel Bujol and his research assistant, Stephanie Robergi. What they found is that if you do a two-layer closure, but that inner layer, that first layer closest to the endometrial cavity is a running locking layer, then you actually weaken the two-layer closure. So if you do a two-layer closure, the innermost layer should be running non-locking, and then the outer layer, you can choose whatever you want to, locking or not. But remember, there's no real benefit to lock the suture because it really does not add anything else to hemostasis. Now that we're getting to the end of the podcast, it's time for the quick clinical pearl. The techniques used at C-section for hysterotomy closure matter. And a single layer closure can be the best way to do it if it's running and non-locking. In a 2014 Cochrane meta-analysis, researchers compared outcomes of a single layer or two layer closure involving over 13,000 women. And in terms of short-term outcome, there was no difference in the rates of febrile morbidity, wound infection, or blood transfusion between the two techniques. Of course, the data is even more gray when it comes to TOLAC and uterine rupture. Remember, it's not just that, oh, I'm going to do a two-layer closure so that they can TOLAC in the future, but it's how it's done. And a lot of the studies haven't taken into account the actual technique. The authors just take a look whether it was single layer or two layers, but we know that how those are done actually influences the risk of rupture in the future. Now, remember, we haven't even talked about intramniotic infection. If a C-section is done and the patient is choreo or intramniotic infection, whichever term you want to use, that's considered a weakness in the myometrium. I mean, it's inflamed, right? The decidua is infected. So for those, a two-layer closure is recommended, not including the endometrial cavity and not locking that first innermost layer, but definitely doing a two-layer closure if they have an infection because an infected incision just doesn't and heal very strongly. All right, so what's my preference for a single layer or two layer? Well, I do choose a two layer closure in patients that may choose a TOLAC in the future. And if they have intramniotic infection, I do a two layer closure. But remember, it's not just about the two layer closure, but it's how it's done. And I think we've beat that to a pulp. Now let's finish the podcast with a quick discussion on suture types. I mean, does that matter? Does that affect outcome? If you use a monofilament or a natural braided like chromic, does that affect outcome? Let's take a look now. Choice of suture is largely based on personal preference. In a large randomized trial, which was called Coronis, which stood for Caesarean Section Surgical Techniques, choice of suture material, whether chromic or catgut or delayed absorbable like a vicryl, did not result in any statistically significant differences in maternal outcome. So choice of suture material, as of right now, it doesn't seem to make any difference at all. All right, podcast family, we have wrapped up our quick review of hysterotomy closure. It seems that a single layer unlocked is the preferred. And if you do a two-layer closure, do not lock the innermost layer, never include the decidua. And the second outer layer in that double-layer closure can be either locking or not, but there's a preference to non-locking. As always, we appreciate you being part of our podcast family, and we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.